Okay, fine. I had a joke, but then I I just I'm gonna do it better. I realized I'm not funny. <laughs> you are you are funny. You're making me cry. Hello and welcome to the Unnamed Automotive Podcast. My name is Sammy Hadjassad, and with me, as always, is my good friend and fellow automotive journalist, Benjamin Hunting. Say hi to the people, Ben. Greetings, human listeners. Greetings to everyone. Now, if this is the first time you're listening to this podcast, this is what we do on the podcast. We talk about cars and stuff. And you know what? You can find all of our work uh, and more information, more content from either Ben or myself uh, in a bunch of different websites. Ben, why don't you tell them where we can find more of your work? You can find me at Business Insider, at Driving Line, and at Inside Hook. And you can find my work at autotrader.ca as well as Nouveau Magazine. In fact, uh, a print publication, of, a print version of Nouveau Magazine is coming out soon with my story on the Ferrari F8, which is very exciting. I say say it right. Say it right. Fate. Fate of the Furious. <laughs> the, the, the Ferrari fate. Uh, ben, we've got some fast cars to talk about this week. Um, fast crossovers or fast SUVs, or are they called fast SAVs? I can't remember what BMW. They're called FSAVs if you're BMW, and yes. the vehicle I'm driving is the 2020 BMW X5 M Competition, Sammy. So the M5 competition, before this, this is them acknowledging that the X5 was not competitive before, and now with this competition package, definitely competitive. That's what they're saying? So it's kind of not easy to see or figure out what the competition package gets you. And this is something uh, that I find fascinating. So I, I like the X5. I know you like the X5. It's a good, good yes. if, if you want this thing, then this is a good version of that thing. And by that thing, I mean a a large, heavy, ultra-fast, very comfortable SUV. Um, now, I can't remember the last time. I don't think I've – I don't know if I've driven the X5M, but I did like the X5M50. Yes. And the, the six-cylinder version of the car as well, which is pretty – which is very good. And I think it handles unnecessarily well for a vehicle of itself. <laughs> yeah, especially a vehicle that weighs 5,500 pounds. A lot yeah. of – you could use the word unnecessary to describe many of the X5M competition's attributes. And those okay. are both positive and negative. So it's, it's kind of an interesting vehicle. I'm going to be honest <laughs> – Nothing makes sense about a performance SUV, and we talked a few weeks ago about the Trackhawk from mm. from Jeep, the Grand Cherokee Trackhawk, which has 707 horsepower and is super ridiculously fast, and there's no reason for it to exist. So the X5M competition is BMW's version of that. and <laughs> An un- A vehicle that has no reason to exist? Bam, nailed it. We got it. It has a 4.4 liter V8. And it's twin turbocharged. The regular version has 600 horsepower, but if you get the competition, you get another 17 horsepower. Ooh. Okay, hold up. How much horsepower is required to move every thousand pounds in that car? Like, (laughs) well, you're you're close to you're close to 100 horsepower per thousand pounds. Yeah, there there you go. So, So. it should make no difference on the size of the No, it really makes no difference. But what's weird about the the competition package is I went to the BMW website because I'm like, okay, it seems really, really similar to the X5M. And for the most part, it is. So for an extra $9,000 on on your order of the regular X5, which is already one hundred Okay. you add 9000 so you're up to one hundred fourteen. You get the, the 17 horsepower. You get a choice between 21 and – actually, I'm not sure if it's a, it's a choice. I think that the the wheels in the back might be 21 and the ones in the front – sorry, back is 22, front is 21. I'm not sure. They're, they're enormous tires. Anyway, but you get to choose between some different wheels from the regular X5M. 
Um, you get a sport exhaust that I thought the regular X5M already had, but maybe it doesn't. And uh, you get really different styling if you notice details like trim, um, fabric on the on the seats and the dashboard. The seatbelt has like the BMW three color logo on it. So like little details like that. And in my mind, okay. I was thinking that doesn't really seem like a lot for nine thousand dollars. Like I really feel like I would be happy with the regular X5. M for the regular X5M price, but I, I'm the reason I'm mentioning all of this is because I think it's fascinating that BMW can ask for another 10% on top of the price of a vehicle for a very kind of nebulous package of details and, and put the competition badge on, and people are like, yeah, take my money, that's fine. So it's 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 an interesting yeah. marketing way of marketing. I don't have anything against it, but I, I really expected the competition to kind of push past the X5M and it mm-hmm. doesn't really do that. It, they say it accelerates somewhat faster, but I think it's like a very, very small degree. Like this version of the vehicle does zero to 60 in 3.7 seconds, That's which so is, fast. which is That's absurd. insanely fast. Yeah. It's completely absurd. And, and I think it's on the same, I, I want to say that the track hawk, I can't remember was something like three and a half seconds or 3.6. Yeah. So it's, it's almost exactly the same. Um, there's really not much more they could have done. I mean, it's an absolutely crazy package of a vehicle. So uh, competition, it's kind of nice to have, uh, but it's not necessarily something you need when you're specking out the X5M. Right. Um, I was thinking when you told me that you got the competition package, and I didn't know much about it at the time, that it would have some other, it would address some of the criticisms, the very few criticisms that we had about the X5M non-competition uh, particular, maybe it lost some weight somewhere. BMW um, can do that. They can lose weight in some cars. Uh, and that didn't happen in this car. So that's a, that's a shame. Unless the exhaust helps, the performance exhaust helps uh, shed some weight. But I don't think that's the case. No, it's not really about that. I think it's just a, it's just a nice to have package for people who want to have everything when they, when they order the truck. Uh, and, and to be honest, I don't think it matters. Get it with the competition well, box package. Box checkers, essentially. These guys yeah, just, box checkers. I mean, get it yeah. with it, get it without. It's not going to matter. It's an absolutely bonkers vehicle. It is absurdly quick. Uh, right. From, in a straight line, it is scary. Like, snap your head back, scary. Very similar to the Trackhawk in that respect. I would say the Trackhawk is more immediate with the supercharger than the turbocharged system in the BMW. But again, question of very small degrees of difference. Uh, inside, it's extremely refined you feel so disconnected from what's happening outside the vehicle which is scary because what's happening outside is happening at an extremely high rate of speed (laughs) so it's uh it's not the kind of vehicle you would ever take on a racetrack but you could easily take it on a racetrack there's there's nothing about it that would preclude you from doing that except for the fact that it weighs 5500 pounds and it's rather top heavy and your tire and brake budget would be enormous and the width of the track required for somebody, if there is a faster car out there, to pass you would be huge. They'd be like, can you please point me by? And you're like, I am. Well, it's, it's more <laughs> like if you were on a racetrack with this vehicle and you were behind it, you'd have no idea what was in front of it. Exactly, yes. Is there a car coming up? I can't remember. Uh-oh. Um, so uh, I wanted to talk to you a little bit more about the noise that these things make because I always found that uh, the the noise of the X5M to be really uh, entertaining, uh, even more so than than the the Grand Cherokee Trackhawks in in some cases. Am I crazy for saying that? No, I I think it sounds okay. I I didn't really I I didn't really notice the the sound when you start it up. It sounds pretty aggressive, which I which I like uh, yep. because you know 
I don't really need to be on good terms with my neighbors. And uh, when you're driving around, though, everything you know what we said about the the track hawk. Uh, we keep going back to that, but just the idea of how normal it feels when you're not pushing the pedal to the floor. And mm-hmm. the BMW is an even more refined version of that. There's not much about the truck that suggests it's an M car until you want it to be one. So you're okay. not really being beat up by the suspension, which is nice. And inside it's calm and comfortable and relatively, you know, unassuming until you really get on the gas. And then you start to notice things like the world is melting outside the window beside you and your ears are melting from the exhaust note and uh, children are cowering in fear on the sidewalk and you have to pray that you have enough brake to slow down so much mass at the next stoplight. So it's it's really a, a, an entertaining dual personality vehicle from that perspective. This is a crazy question to ask, but I, I remember I have used that term, the world is melting outside you, to describe other fast cars. Probably the first fast car I ever drove in my career, which I think was the Cadillac CTS-V Coupe. And I remember driving that thing, the moment you put your foot down, it's as if everything went in slow motion, and you could just, you could like walk between cars. It was unbelievably fast. Isn't that because you were driving it through a plate glass window? (laughs) The rock style? Like Nicolas Cage? Uh, not not Dwayne the Rock Johnson, but the movie The Rock. Yes, yeah, it's you're right. we have to we have to make that uh, that differentiation at this point in both of their careers. Yes. Um. Do you record? Do you remember the first time you've ever had that feeling like a car is so fast? It's like surrealism in action. Yes. Uh. For me, it was probably when I rented that Viper when I was. Oh, yeah. Years old. That, that shady Viper. The rental shady that Viper rental story. <laughs> Really, I didn't even I didn't even expect you when you when you described that story. I was expecting it to be done that that for, that story to take place in like rural uh, a rural setting where you don't really have that same sense of speed sometimes when you're on the highway or something and you can see buildings. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. Uh, let me let me let me back you up here. So you think that on in in a rural part of the world, yeah, there are no rules. <laughs> that's not what I said. That's not what I said. I said that you know what? Sometimes you have like a like a uh, a landmark that helps dictate your, how your your field of view is and how fast you're approaching that thing and i and i was curious as to how that was in the in the rural setting um well i mean i didn't grow up in the mojave desert so there were there were trees and houses <laughs> sure i'm just just trying to i'm just trying to imagine what you think the environment i was driving in was like like a mad max style like wasteland yeah. where it's impossible to tell how fast you're going until you look down at the speedometer and then you're like, whoa. <laughs> whoa, i got to slow down. Okay, yeah. So the world is melting around you, both uh, in that Viper sense and now in this uh, X5M, but you don't hear it. I've got to ask you, um, because my favorite thing about BMWs is the amount of uh, frivolous features and gimmicky items that they have in them. So it had gesture controls, I'm sure. Yes, but so just, I, want to, I want to mention the gesture controls. Because, really? Well, yes, because I, I don't like them. But, because we um, talk about them every time we have a BMW on the podcast. So I, wanted, I changed the track on my phone. Like I was listening to Spotify and I, I selected the next song. And then on the screen underneath, it shows you like the, the gesture you're supposed to use. If you want to thumb sideways, the thumb sideways yeah. thing. So I started doing that. Nothing happened. And I started doing it the other way. And then I started doing like really exaggerated movements, like the kind of movements that no sane person would make, even if they weren't driving. And uh, yeah, it didn't work. So I guess I don't know if it was turned off, but if it's turned off, why well, still have the little icon telling me to, to get with the program? Why well, it's still prompting you or, you know, you're not BMW doesn't recognize you as a 
a human uh, capable of mastering its gesture. Its That's controls. possible. That's possible. Um, what about the <laughs> every, mind- once, every once in a while on the head up display this this icon would pop up and say, "Is a human driving?" <laughs> and I would have to hit yes, or it would just shut down. Right. Um, the other problem I have with BMWs, I actually don't mind some of the gesture controls. I don't mind the thumb sideways, although it looks so bizarre sometimes. Um, there used to be these really shiny controls on them that would like catch the light and blind everybody in the car. You the, mean the, the, the crystal controls? Yeah, the Swarovski crystal controls. Do you, did you have that? I don't remember. I've gotten oh, okay. so used to it having it that like at this point I don't even notice. But I don't think it did because I you didn't need to pack your welders. Your welders. Mask no, but on you. the shifter for the M cars, it's different because you have the selector for the um, level of shift speed. Oh yeah. So this is something I want to talk about. I'm glad that we're segueing into this. So we've talked. I hate. Past- yeah, well, we've talked in the past about how complicated M cars can be in terms yeah. of figuring out if you're accessing their full potential or not. And BMW's gotten better about all the different settings the car has in the last, I want to say, three or four years by adding the M1 and the M2 buttons onto the steering wheel. So for those who are familiar, in, in the new M cars, you can control so many different parameters about it, like whether the traction control is on or off or in some middle setting. Uh, in the M5, you can decide whether the, whether the all-wheel drive system is on or off. Uh, you can change the exhaust sound, all of this stuff. And if you got in the car and you had to make all these selections every time you drove the car, it would get frustrating pretty quickly. So they've yeah. made like a shorthand where you select the car settings that you like and then you save them to one of two buttons and then you can go back and forth to either of these buttons while you're driving or you can just go to normal using the regular controls on the console. Right. So in one of these settings, this is all a long setup to describe the transmission, it's yep. how fast the transmission shifts. And yeah. that's a, a three setting, um, I guess, selection on the shifter it, itself is a little button. And it looks like a Wi-Fi signal. Yeah, it does. It's like three little lines. Yeah. And it's weird because that's a level of granularity I don't really think I need. And I think it started back with the V10 M5 okay. uh, way back in the late 2000s. You could you could start making that selection. And I think that had a single clutch automated manual. I'm not sure. Um, but on the newer cars, it just doesn't feel necessary. I kind of just want the transmission to do its job. And uh, it's... I didn't notice a huge difference with the lowest setting to the harshest setting. But then again, I wasn't driving on a racetrack where you might notice that kind of difference. Especially if you really need to downshift quite quickly. My experience with that that mode is that uh, it will, especially on the track, it will trigger that downshift um, much quicker. Like almost in any situation you let off the throttle, it'll just be like, bang, time for for a downshift. Um, I will admit, I don't think it, first of all, when you're talking about an automatic transmission, and there are no other options here, um, why do we have to dictate how aggressive it should behave in a sport-focused um, vehicle, right? Like, I've always said this. It's an automatic transmission. It should do its job. If it's automatic, it should pay attention to what, how I'm driving. Um, and this just feels really granular, really unnecessary, um, and totally unreasonable for everyday driving. Yeah. Um, and other cars, they, the other BMWs used to have that as well. I think used to the like the regular eight speed, the non dual clutch transmission used to push it into like an S mode as well that you would have to trigger in addition to the sport or sport plus mode. And I I just hate that. I hate having to do like this little song and dance for your car to get fast. Right. 
Yes. Um, the M1 and M2 buttons, uh, that, that kind of um, feature, that individual feature, that customization feature is becoming more, more common in sports vehicles. The AMG I had it, uh, the AMG I had last week um, had that. The Macan Turbo had that as well. Um, so this is becoming more and more common. But with BMWs, you have two custom settings, which is, I guess, better than just one. Well, and I, what I like about the BMWs is that I don't have to go into the infotainment system to access them. I can just push a button and get it. And that's, you know, I mean, as complicated as it is, at least it's a little simpler than having to dig through menus. What else is to say? But what else can I say about the X5M? It is one of my, the X5 is truly one of my favorite. Although that whole class of vehicles, like the X5, the GLE, and the Cayenne, are pretty strong vehicles. It's hard to really hate on any of them. Well, I mean, weren't you saying that the, last week that the Cayenne feels like it's getting a little old, or was that just the Macan? I think the Macan is getting old. The Cayenne is not as great as it used to be. I think everyone else kind of caught up to where it was at the time, and the latest generation model doesn't feel as special as it used to. So that's the one that I would criticize the most. But there's also, like, the Q8 in some situations that is uh, pretty impressive, too. Um, so there's there's a lot of great vehicles in that class. And for somebody to really be impressed with it, and uh, I, I don't mean to offend you, Ben, but you can be really critical on some of these cars, um, and cars in general. These X, The X5M, to impress you, has to be doing something pretty good. Well, what I like about it is that when it's not doing crazy, scaring your pants off speed stuff, it's it's a really good SUV at all times. And it's comfortable, right. and you can fit five people in it with no problem, and you can haul stuff around. And it's very easy to fit into almost anyone's lifestyle. I mean, if your lifestyle requires a $100,000 super SUV. So, like, <laughs> it's, it's, it's really one of those rare instances where I'm not sure if there's any one version of the X5 that really outshines any of the others. Yeah. They're, they're all very good. And if you want it to be super fast, you can get that version. If you want it to be relatively economical but still pretty damn fast, you can get that version too. You know, you're not feeling shortchanged if you get the six-cylinder model. When will they get rid of the split tailgate? The split tailgate is so weird. So, I mean, we t- we complained a couple of weeks ago about the Lexus having the yeah. GX having that giant swing-out vault door. I, I wanted to bring that up too. So the BMW has a tailgate that pops open automatically, like mm-hmm. at the touch of a button. But then there's a tailgate piece at the bottom that stays up unless you also open that. And BMW says that that is for keeping stuff from rolling out of the truck when you pop that hatch. I can kind of understand that. An issue it, that has occurred none times in any other car with one <laughs> tailgate. But it's it's annoying because you have to lift over it or open it, and um, it's just two steps where you normally need one step. Uh, uh, Range Rover, I think, has been doing this for a long time, too. And I think it's kind of an affectation. And only it's only one of their models, right? The Range Rover Sport, I think? Uh, maybe. But okay. it's just one more thing to break, which is kind <laughs> of how I look at... The, well, anything you use a lot, like a tailgate... It's, it's going to be moving all the time. That's why I don't like the pickup trucks with the fancy tailgates these days because over time they're going to get salt and, and water in them and they're going to corrode and then they'll be done. That's not really going to happen with the X5. It's just more of an electronic issue, I think, over time. All right. Okay, well, that, that's a pretty thorough take, I think, on the, on the X5M with the competition package. Um, I think I agree with you. The X5 is a very good product from, from the top of the range to the bottom of the range. Um, and if you really wanted the best of the best that this thing offers, you'd have to take that competition package and you'll be greeted with 17 horsepower for $9,000. That's what? 500, 530 bucks a, a, a pony. <laughs> <laughs> yes. 
Um, I wanted to bring up a couple of it's for, for some reason this past week was really um, busy in terms of automotive news. And I think we should talk about a couple of vehicles that debuted this um, week. And we're going to start with a concept, if that's OK with you, especially totally because okay I, think, with me. I think this one resonates uh, with you on the most superficial level. Uh, I'm talking specifically about the Jeep Grand Wagoneer concept. Have you seen this? Have you heard I, of this? I have seen this. I've written about it. Uh, I want to say that, I mean, a lot of people were expecting Jeep to go retro with this and build a wood-paneled truck, which I think is were the, they most, really? the most, oh, so many people. And it's the most laughable thing. Look, what Jeep needed was a way to penetrate the $100,000 SUV market. And they're going to make a portfolio of vehicles, according to their language, with the Wagoneer at the bottom and the Grand Wagoneer at the top. And um, there's going to be a hybrid version in there, which is what the concept was. And it's it looks very, I'm going to say, generic full-size SUV. The back could be a Navigator. The sides could be a Tahoe. The front, I think, is interesting because they avoided the super huge gaping grill that most luxury SUVs have these days. It's a, it's a narrow seven-slot Jeep grill. Uh, I think in, they had to do that because it's hard to make that seven-slot grill without uh, while making a big grill as well. No, no, you want the biggest, slottiest grill you can get, Sammy. <laughs> Slotty. They should do the slots completely horizontal now. There. <laughs> but uh, in any case, uh, the inside is quite nice from the pictures. It's, it's going to be hard to tell until you're actually in it and you see what the fit and finish is like. Um, but I don't think they really pushed the needle or move, sorry, moved the needle when it comes to styling. Okay. And I don't know how much that matters uh, because the the interesting thing about the, the Grand Wagoneer is it actually has heritage. And none of the other vehicles it's up against have heritage past the late 90s. So um, the Navigator, the Escalade and all that stuff, they were created out of whole cloth. But the, the Grand Wagoneer can pull on, you know, nostalgia about the Jeep brand. And it can also claim off-road chops. They're, they really didn't go into that when it was announced <laughs> today. You can get three different four-wheel drive systems, but they didn't say trail rated. And they didn't really talk about um, what its capabilities were like there. So that's kind of like okay. Jeep's X factor. And yeah. I guess we'll find out more later. Um, I was thinking maybe more of Suburban. Suburban has a long um, historic name nameplate to go along with yeah, it. But, but Suburban's can, not a luxury truck. You can push. You can push it pretty far. I yeah, but like I think this Jeep is going to start at seventy k. Yeah. Okay. Um, and you know what? I was looking at the interior of this concept. It's important to point out that this is a concept, and I don't know how much of this will make to production vehicles. But for some reason, there's. Um, Four billion screens inside of it? Yeah, there's like probably <laughs> conservatively eight screens. Yeah. And uh, Ralph, Ralph Giles, he described it as a uh, lecture, a first-class seat at every, at every position. Okay, great. So everyone because has we're, not flying, we're not flying anymore. We got to get them in these, in these Wagoneers for the first time. There's class a experience. passenger screen on the dashboard in the front where you, yeah. can, like, you can take a movie you were watching inside your house and put it on that screen somehow, I guess, and then watch <laughs> it while you're driving. And then you mm -hmm. can also make adjustments to things about the truck and then send them to the driver, like navigation instructions and stuff. So, because <laughs> that's I what mean, all drivers really want. Because leaning over to the center console to do that would have been too much of a hassle. Um, my favorite part of the presentation, though, is when they showed uh, an open flame fireplace screen on every single screen. So there were like five or six. It was, it was shown from the second row and you could see at least like six screens with fires on it. 
And I was right. wondering just like how digitally hot it gets inside the truck. <laughs> yeah, it gets very digitally hot. It also has something called relaxation mode. That's not the exact name. but Oh, finally. Yeah, so you you choose this and every screen shows you the Aurora Borealis. <laughs> Are you joking? No, I'm not joking. That's a real thing. <laughs> no. That is a real thing. Interesting. Um, I did notice that it has a unibrow of a headlight. It goes across the grill, and some, I think it fills in the slots of the grill. <laughs> yeah, the lighting was it, the lighting was interesting. I think it's 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 unique and detailed. That I think Chrysler has always done a good job with lighting details. So I wasn't surprised to see that. But it's nice to see they're they're you know staying on message. Okay, so let's go. Let's move from the Grand Wagoneer into a production vehicle, as far as I understand. Um, is the new Jeep Wrangler 4xe or 4xe, which will be their hybrid version of the Jeep Wrangler, which is pretty cool. Um, and I think the most important thing about this is that um, it features 375 horsepower and will get 25 miles of pure EV range. That's pretty impressive considering um, I think before in the past you would barely crack 300 horsepower in a, in a – Yes. Is that 25 miles in four-wheel drive? Ooh, that's a good question. I doubt it. I don't think so because I don't know if all four wheels get the electric motor. I haven't checked that yet. Have you seen this? No. It's going to be interesting to see what the pricing is like too because, I mean, Jeep is already really expensive. (laughs) (laughs) The Wrangler is expensive and this – I can't see this not being the most expensive Wrangler. So is this a $60,000 Wrangler? And is it going to qualify for any type of government assistance for or rebates for the drivetrain? Because I think it's a 17 kilowatt hour battery or, or motor. Mm-hmm. Um, it is 17 kilowatts, a 400 um, watt, uh, a 400 volt um, battery pack. Okay, so that's that's I think the the qualification for federal loans or not loans but uh, rebates is um, 16 kilowatts. So okay, interesting. So first of all, okay, put a, put aside the pricing of what a a plug-in hybrid Jeep Wrangler would be. Um, do you think this is a good choice or a bad choice to be offering the Wrangler? One of the most, I mean, when you think of a Wrangler, you don't think of something as high tech as a plug-in hybrid powertrain. So it, I think it's a really cool uh, contrast of of old school kind of vehicle design and then new school powertrain. I think it'll be interesting to see what it's like in the real world in terms of range. I don't really know who the buyer for this is, and I think it's good PR for Chrysler. Um, mm-hmm. Aside from that, I don't think the Wrangler is the tip of their electrification spear. <laughs> okay. Um, I mean, it's well, being... I mean, they are also bringing uh, along the uh, Renegade 4xE, which I thought was – and Compass 4xE, which will be – hopefully much more affordable because those cars as they are pretty um, affordable models. Yeah. And, and, and again, the, the um, Grand Wagoneer was also a uh, plug-in hybrid. So right. it's, this is, it's, you know, it, it looks good at the launch. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know how many they'll actually sell. So those are the two cars that I saw from FCA that was, uh, that were revealed earlier this um, week, but there were also some other debuts um, look, we can go into Hyundai. Hyundai is, ex- is excited to tease some of their new vehicles. Excited. Uh, Hyundai is excited to tease. Well, they're showing off a couple of images of a new Tucson, which has dramatically different um, styling than what we currently have. But that's all I know so far. I think we're going to be seeing more of that in, the, in a few weeks. But they also showed off a new version of the Kona. And the Kona is a pretty important vehicle. It's very popular. I think it's won a couple of 
Car of the Year awards or or runner up for Car of the Year awards, um, and is a subcompact crossover, which I think is really important to bring up right now because we just mentioned a ginormous, or nearly one hundred thousand um, dollar Jeep, and then a another very expensive SUV Jeep. So now we're talking about something a little bit more mainstream, um, and it's got a brand new design. It's got a front, a whole new like front end. Um, which really gives this car a different personality, something a little bit more um, refined and uh, European. And I think that's pretty cool. Um, I'll be eager to see if some of the the items that they discussed in their press release would come to the North American market, specifically a transmission that I was not expecting, a manual transmission that is actually not connected to the engine. So it's an electronic manual transmission, which I think will be very um very interesting to try in, in real time and real. It, yeah, like, I think definitely less direct connection between the shifter and the mechanical action of the shifter is something everyone has always wanted. Right. Um, I know people are always complaining about or, or, or lamenting the fact that their transmissions don't feel rubbery or disconnected enough. Uh, well, maybe we I can think, get some cables in there too. <laughs> yes, I think the issue is that as it's built, the um, new Kona will feature a 48-volt mild hybrid technology. And I don't know if many people have combined the mild hybrid um, with a, um, a manual transmission. I can only think of the Honda CRZ or CRZ. I think uh, the, which, uh, the original Insight had a manual. Right. And those are very old. They're not nearly as uh, as impressive as they are now. Um, so that would be the the solution. There is what they did. This, what this. about the four by e? Does it have a manual? That's not as far as I can tell. No. Okay. So that's the Tucson and the Kona. And then we've got our friends at Mercedes. They're debuting a new S-Class. Uh, the S-Class is very important or has been very important for a long time. Um, it is like the flagship of the Mercedes brand. Um, whenever you think of a Mercedes, generally people think of the S-Class. And I wonder if that's still going to continue going forward when sedans are not as popular as they used to be. Well, they tried, to, they, tr- they tried to make the GLS the S-Class of SUVs, and that didn't work. That so, didn't take, right? Like, it no, no one really cared. Yeah, I think the G-Class is the S-Class of SUVs in the minds of customers, regardless of whether that's accurate or not. So mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I, I think it's still important for them. Um, maybe they're the only company that's left where this this class of vehicle is important. But mm-hmm. uh, I, I also don't know what their fleet sales are like in terms of you know high-end limousines and that kind of business. Right. Um, I still think that, it, it, first of all, it's interesting because the, the, the model is called the S500, um, and we know that S500 nameplate. But now instead of featuring a V8, this will feature a 3-liter um, Turbo 6, an inline engine. With a mild hybrid setup. So, like, it always bothers me that Mercedes went way off from their nomenclature. And S500 <laughs> has nothing to do with a 3-liter turbo 6. Um, so, that's what that, that that's will be offered there. The V8 is still around in the S580. Um, and I think there's going to be some AMG versions. I mean, there always is, right? Um, so, one of the most important things I think you need to look at with an S-Class is not the really understated exterior design, but the really high-tech and premium-looking uh, interior design. The S-Class has always been a staple and a benchmark in terms of its interior design and comfort. And this car looks pretty impressive um, with lots of technology. And they kind of done away, they kind of did away with the like swoopy dashboard of the last generation S-Class. And they've kind of made everything really upright and flat. Um, and I think that will that will allow it to to kind of upgrade in the future to when they want to add more screens like that Grand Wagoneer we saw. 
Oh man, just I, you know, if if that's really what we're looking for in cars is like real estate to add more screens. I mean, it just reminds me of you know, like whenever you look at like a movie car, and uh, it's like movie cars that are supposed to be set in the future, right? And then you you see those cars outside the context of of the film that they're in. Like, let's say they're at a museum, or it's just a photo of the car while it's being you know while production is going on, but the car's not involved. And they always show the interiors, and the interiors look so so featureless and uninteresting because they're just flat expanses of, of plastic or glass that they project uh, dashboards onto, right? Right. So it's kind of like that. I mean, if you see any of these cars with, with the key off, they just – they look really dull. And Well, yeah. Well, you mean – well, yeah, you say that now, but there was a time when car design was car design all the time. Like the dash right. had to look good whether the car was running or not. And that's no longer the case. Now designers are are okay with the idea that they're going to give up huge chunks of real estate on the inside of a vehicle to, I don't know, conservatively two to four square feet of black plastic. <laughs> Featureless black plastic. Um I think they're going to they're going to address that with AI. Um, this is crazy, but I remember the, the CES where all of our dreams come true, of course. Wait, is the is the Subaru robot telling you to say this? <laughs> no, the Subaru robot doesn't have AI, which is important to point out. Um, it doesn't believe, want us to know it has AI. <laughs> that's possible. Um, I believe Toyota wanted to introduce this sort of like um, playful um, artificial intelligence in its car that would like say hello to you even when it's turned off oh or like goodness. wink at you with the headlights or like yeah, goad that. you into trying to break into it or something like that if you're just a passenger somebody walking by like hey what are you looking at you think you're uh, tough yeah exactly that's what the next generation of cars are gonna have they're gonna have and these then, like, ai triggering all the lights and and features of the car and instead of like a rolls royce like spirit of ecstasy that rises out of the grill it's going to be like an arm like a robotic arm it's like hey yeah. kid, think you're tough you want to arm wrestle a car and of course a kid wants to arm wrestle a car and then he ends up in the er yeah i 100 percent believe that's going to happen because uh but you they have to they probably still have to follow the laws of robotics right they can't harm human beings right isn't that the isn't that the case well, I mean, those laws are entirely fictional, Sammy. So I don't think oh, that, no. like, whatever small, like, <laughs> small supplier that's so psyched to be building these robot arms, they're not going to ask questions about where these arms are going. They don't want to know if these arms are hurting or helping. They just want to sell arms and lift themselves out of poverty. That's true. That's and, true. And do you think that the Subaru AI that controls that arm factory has any kind of personal <laughs> politics about human harm? No. Yeah. No, of course not. Um, there was one thing I wanted to bring up about the um, S-Class before we end this little this portion of the podcast. Uh, it has rear-wheel steering. You've probably heard that um, before in a bunch of other cars. Wait, wait, wait. Uh, How many degrees? That's the most important thing to, to bring up. Um, it is... A, it is a lot of degrees. I'm trying to figure out the <laughs> um, four point up to four point five degrees uh, in the front. Uh, wait, no, that doesn't make any sense. That's um, that's something else. That's that's um, like tilting the wheel. I'm seeing Sorry. four and a half degrees to ten degrees. Ten degrees is what I uh, what I believe. Um, but I think that's really impressive because it's a lot more than what you would see. And if you look at some of the photos of this car while turning, it looks like the rear wheel is like broken. It's pointed outside like sideways. That's uh, what I like. That's what I want. Look at this photo. I'm going to send you. You're going to laugh. I um, need a car that looks like maybe it's going to be out six to eight weeks with a high ankle sprain. That's... Look at the rear. 
<laughs> yes, with high ankle sprain. Oh, wow. Exactly. That's uh, terrifying. That looks like something where if I saw it on any of my cars, I would have to call a tow truck. That's right. Um, I also can't wait to see if they put the um, e-active body control that's found in the SUV that feature that allows the car to unstick itself from, like, sand or mud. Obviously, the S-Class is not an off-roading vehicle, but that gimmick is so funny to watch in action that I would love to see it in an S-Class. I don't think – I think the S-Class customer has too much dignity to jiggle-jiggle all the time <laughs> like that. It's just – it's not – it's not becoming, Sammy. That's un- that's unfortunate. I'll, I'm, I'm serious. That's unfortunate. Um, okay, so that's it for this week's podcast. Actually, I I, I, there's oh. one more thing I wanted to mention. Really? Um, yeah. Yeah, you sound so surprised. Oh, Ben's demonstrating agency? This is not allowed. <laughs> yeah, tell me. Um, we had a, a reader, Jonathan, write into us this week who uh, – we were talking about the Stelvio recently. And we were specifically talking about reliability. And he wanted to mention that he has a 2018 Stelvio TI Sport. Oh, good. And uh, he loves it. He's at, He's had it for 26 months. And he's had zero problems. It's been utterly reliable. So honestly, that's a surprise to me. But it's good to hear that there are examples of the Stelvio where people are having a good ownership experience. He says it's like driving around in a celebrity. He has the bright red color and people pay a lot of attention to the car, give him a lot of compliments. And, you know, I had a red version of the Quadrifoglio and I had a similar experience. It does attract a lot of attention. So he's happy with the reliability. He's happily with the handling and the acceleration. Um, He got it on a lease. And it's surprisingly affordable. He's paying under 500 a month. And he basically – it's a three-year lease. So he pays under 20 grand to drive it. And, and the retail on the truck is 50 grand. So that's a pretty decent deal. I actually um, have found that the lease deals on Alfa Romeo's – the non-Quadrifolio models is pretty good. Like that, that, that lease deals are pretty surprisingly good. So if you find them attractive, that might be where you're, you, sh- you should check them out. He also mentioned that uh, he's put a quarter million miles daily driving Corvettes over the last 20 years, and he has a C8 on order. So it's Boy, cool yeah. that, that people who are into sports cars, you know, that, that if someone out there is listening and is like, am I going to like how the Stelvio drives? Well, this is someone who spends a lot of time in a sports car and is having a great time with an SUV from Alfa Romeo. So that's, that's kind of a little bit of a, a plus for them. I love hearing from listeners – um, who are as enthusiastic about cars as we are, and also have a pretty broad um, like love of the vehicle, not just sports cars, but even these luxury cars like the the, the Stelvio. Yeah, definitely. So, I mean, no no boring cars is a great rule. It is a pretty good rule. I don't know why I don't follow it. <laughs> <laughs> I have an Outback, man. Stop making fun of me. You have an uh, Outback because a Subaru robot told you you needed an that's Outback. That's right. That's not your but fault. I, the chip I, in your brain won't let you make a different choice. It's a manual transmission outback, though. Isn't that important? Um, I guess so. I mean, when the EMP pulse hits us, will you still be able to drive it? I think so. All right. All right. Now, if you want to get in touch with us, it's very easy. You can go to our website, unnamedautomotivepodcast.com, and there's a contact form right there. You fill that out, and it lands in our inbox. It's super duper easy. I love it. Frictionless. Yes, frictionless. Uh, additionally, you can reach out to either Ben or myself on social media. You can find me on Twitter at Sammy underscore ha, like you're laughing. Uh, and you can find Ben on Instagram. He's at Hunting Benjamin. And finally, you can also email us. Uh, Benjamin at BenjaminHunting.com is the email address to use. 
pretty easy, right? And at, yeah, and at unnamedautomotivepodcast.com, you will also find all the information about all of our past shows. Uh, you'll find photos and links to articles we've written about the vehicles we talked about. And mm-hmm. you can subscribe to us on Google Podcasts. I don't even know if that's still a thing. I think they're moving to YouTube, but we're on YouTube as well, I believe. Uh, we're on Amazon Podcasts now, which is some, yeah. I'm not sure if that's launched yet, but it's coming up. We're on we're Spotify. We're on Spotify. We're, on Spotify. we're everywhere. So um, check us out. Um, yeah, and please do subscribe because you scared us when we when we saw our downloads last week. It was right up there, so keep doing that. Um, what else are we going to talk about today or next well, week, man? Next week, I'm going to be talking about the Chevy Trailblazer, which is a brand new tiny little SUV that I have not driven yet, and I'm uh, I've you know been curious about it because I'm seeing people buying them, and that's always a good sign. So I'm I'm excited to talk about that. You're gonna love this. I have a couple of cars um, that are direct rivals with the. Um, trailblazer. So I can't wait to drive those and talk to wait, you. Wait, the it. railblazer and the mailblazer? <laughs> How did you know? Uh, oh, I no. Uh, no, it's the Mazda CX30 and the Honda HRV. Well, that is less <laughs> exciting. I know. But yeah, we'll, we'll, we're going to compare notes. We always have notes and we compare them all the time. And oh, and uh, one last thing is uh, I got a piece of PR today from Toyota. And uh, they're selling a nightshade edition of the Toyota CHR. But my favorite part of the the email was the headline is, Bring on the night. (laughs) Special nightshade edition. Bring on the night, Sammy. I think I need to start answering the phone with that. Instead of hello or mushy mushy, I'm just going to say, bring on the night. And then people will know they're talking to me because who else would say that? Toyota and Ben. That's it. (laughs) Have a great week, everybody. Take care.